Well, uh, yes, thank you guys for having me back one more time. It is always a pleasure to be here uh, with you guys. Uh, it's good to look out and see a lot of familiar faces. Uh, for uh, Jamie and I, my wife, this is often just our, our second home church. Right? We, uh, we love you guys very dearly. It's also good to look out and just see a bunch of new faces. So hopefully after our service today, I get some time to meet some of you guys who I, I don't recognize. But nonetheless, right, we are here to glorify God by not just going through his word, but responding in faith. So Len kind of stole my thunder. I really like reading the passage out loud. But what I'll do is, since Lenny read our passage that we'll be covering today, what I'll do is I'll read the passage that really sets up our passage, which I guess I'm just stealing John Lisa's thunder because it's just his passage from last week. But it's verse 35 of chapter 9. And so as we, as we move into chapter 10, let's consider what the Lord has for us, Jesus himself has for us, and how he sets the table for what we're going to be going over in chapter 10 here. So verse 35 says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray again. Lord, once again, we come before you and we praise your name for who you are. Lord, you are the Lord of the harvest. You are the compassionate one. You are the one who is full of grace and brings his kingdom to us. Lord, that is something that we will probably never understand this side of heaven. And yet, Lord, you give us enough that we have a sufficient knowledge of what your kingdom is like and why it was brought to us and what the result of that should be in our lives. Pray today, Lord, that you would humble us by your word. Use the Holy Spirit inside us to convict us of where we fall short of your commands. But Lord, lift us up in your grace, Father, to trust you for those things. And I pray for any of us here that are not part of the kingdom of God, Lord, that you impress upon them the grace that you have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, that there would be great faith here at Highlands this morning and moving forward from here as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have... Uh, for a very long time, been a part of youth group. And uh, I have served now, next year, I will have served as a youth leader for more than half of my life. So uh, I'm 34, so you guys do the math on that. And youth group is full, a lot of conundrums. I mean, whenever you're dealing with teenagers, there's always those moments where you scratch your head and say, what is going on? And I'm looking forward to that with my own kids someday. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, what is going on? But I know that when they become teenagers, that is amplified, right? Uh, well, one of the things that it really just boggles my mind is every year for whether it's like a work retreat or a winter retreat or we're just going away for a camping trip or whatever it might be, we always send out packing lists. And every single year, kids show up on the retreat. These packing lists are in English. And they show up for the retreat. They show up for the work weekend. They show up for all these things. And they don't have any, like, nothing. And I, I don't want to blame one specific, like, gender, but it's always the boys, right? <laughs> the boy, like, they have no idea. It's like, they can't, I have no idea. I have no idea. But, oh, and the other funny thing is we have on the packing list bold deodorant. And that seems to be, like, the number one thing that they always forget. But, I mean, all that aside, right, they, they've ignored 
the packing list, right? We send it out early. We give them ample time to put a stick of deodorant in their backpack, right? We give them all the information they need to have a good time, to work effectively on, on these retreats, right? There, there's something that we learn about the events of the kingdom of God, right? There's things that we learn about God himself and not just what he calls us to, but how he prepares us. Today in our passage, we're going to be looking at twofold thing. We're going to be looking at the preparation that God gives his disciples to go out and be on mission, but he's also going to give them instruction. And I think for us, if we were reading this passage, 10, 1 through 15, right, we kind of get stuck on the first verse and then maybe look at the instruction and say, this is for a different time, this is for a different people, this is maybe even for a different mission. But we learn, as we were talking about in communion, we learn so much about God and his kingdom and what Christians are called to by these instructions. Another thing that absolutely amazes me about uh, these winter retreats and stuff like that is how the packing list reflects what's happening on the retreat. And some of these kids, they show up and are like, what are we doing? It's like, you know, you know what we're doing. For the Christian, we look at this and we need to understand that God gave us this for a reason. And he gave it for a reason, not only to instruct our hearts, but to instruct our hands and our minds and our words. So today as we look at this, we're not going to just look at instructions, but instruct us on how God's mission, the King's mission, works out in everyday life. If you're taking notes, then you can write down the big idea ahead of time, help us kind of focus in on this, but... God's gospel mission is all about grace. God's gospel mission is all about grace. So look at me here on chapter 10, verse 1. This is Jesus talk, or this is about Jesus. He says, And he called him, or called to him his disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. What's going on here? Well, this is a continuation, I've already said that, of 35 through 37. In 35 through 37, Jesus lays out what the mission of God is, and he, at the end of, because God is king and his kingdom is good, as God is good, anybody outside of his kingdom is ruined, lost, helpless, harassed. Maybe today you know that those three things characterize you. And you're ruined, lost, harassed, helpless. That's four because I can count because I'm an adult, right? That those four things characterize you. I would just take, I would, I would encourage you, take a moment. Think about if it is because you are outside of God's kingdom. Think about that. Maybe it is because you are separate from the good king who his kingdom has no lost sheep, has no harassed sheep, no helpless sheep, no ruined sheep. I wonder today if you would say to yourself, I think I am outside God's kingdom. I am outside, I'm separated from God, the good shepherd. If that's you, I would love to talk to you about that after the service. I know the elders here at Highlands would love to talk to you about that after the service. But Jesus sends them to the ruined sheep of Israel. In the same way, Jesus commands his disciples to go to the lost, right? To go out to the lost, to those who are ruined. Now, this is our first instruction. And so the first instruction is super simple. It's go. Be on mission. Go where you go to be on mission. And you would probably respond to me, right, if this was a discussion. You'd probably respond to me, I go everywhere all the time. And I think that's by God's hand. 
God has forced you to go places. I think that's great. You go to work, you go to your friend's house, you go to your family, whatever, right? You guys are always, we're all in the car all the time, going everywhere. And that means for us, we, we say we're going, right? But right, I think more importantly for us, it's also this being. And this sounds super millennial, so just bear with me for one sec. But it's not just being in every spot. Oh, that makes me cringe just even saying that out loud. But it's being intentional. It's not just getting in the car and going and checking, okay, I've been on God's mission today. But it's wherever you are, whoever you're around, it's intentionally being on God's mission. I have a few areas here of where we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional at work. We need to be intentional at church. We need to be intentional around our friends and family. We need to be intentional at home. We need to be intentional when we're doing our hobbies with those that we count as our friends. To be intentional is to be on God's mission, to purposefully do that. So when we are at home, right, we are intentional with those that are in our household. Dads, I think this is a big one for us, fathers, right? We need to be off of our phones. We need to be having our kids gravitate towards us, right? Distraction is not intentionality, right? We need to be intentional. When we're at work, we need to be intentional about the words we say, what we do, how our character looks. When we're doing our hobbies, we're intentional not to make that an idol. We're intentional to keep a hobby what is a hobby, and we're at church, we're intentional to build up the other believers around us, to endeavor not only in our sanctification, the sanctification of others around us, right? Maybe there's a few more questions about what going and being intentional looks like. I think this is why Jesus continues to instruct us on what the mission looks like. In verse 7, we see that they just don't go, but they intentionally proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And look what Jesus says. He says this, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a really super interesting phrase. We don't have enough time to go through it all. But what this means is Jesus is saying, in the same way that I proclaimed, I taught, I preached, I spoke about the kingdom of God, you also go and talk about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, this is the second time, and I think it's the last time, where the kingdom of heaven is said. And here we get this special little phrase at the end, is at hand. Maybe your translation says is near. The idea here is that God's kingdom, though perfect, though absolutely victorious all throughout history, but Jesus has not died and rose from the dead yet. So they're anticipating, they're anticipating the fulfillment of the kingdom. And the disciples are to go out and say, the kingdom is coming, right? Jesus himself proclaims that, right? Repent and believe the kingdom is coming. For us, it gets updated, right? Because what has happened for us? Jesus has died, and he has rose again, and he has proven his victory over all the forces that would stand against us and him, right? And so now Jesus is saying, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. This is amazing, not just because Jesus has fulfilled it, but in the fulfillment, in bringing the kingdom to us, he has done something absolutely amazing. The best thing about heaven is now for us. The relationship that our, that us and God have been broken apart by sin is now restored, right? The blessing, the gift of the gospel, God himself is now available for sinners to be restored to. That's the good news of the kingdom of heaven, right? So just a quick application question. If, if disciples are to go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven, then what is it that we talk about most? 
What is it, thinking just about these areas, what is it that you talk most about at home, at work? What is it that you talk most about family and friends? When you're with your buddies and you're doing the hobby thing, what is it that you talk about most, right? I would suggest that it's whatever you think about most, right? Which is whatever you love most. So maybe if the, if the idea here is that we don't talk about the kingdom of heaven enough, maybe you could backtrack that to your heart. Is, is that what you're concentrating? Is that what you're desiring the most? Here, God's grace helps us, right? As we've even taken communion this morning, right? Being reminded about the kingdom of heaven and the grace there within, right? We know God's grace motivates us to love him more. Think about it. What do you talk about most in those areas? But it's not just a message. There's also action included here. And we see in verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Right? He gives them sort of this four-piece laundry list of what they need to do as they go out. So it's not just proclaiming. It's also action. He tells them to go heal the broken. Right? Now, we wouldn't do this right now because God gave these miraculous signs to the disciples to prove that the kingdom is coming. Right? Prove that the kingdom is coming. Right? Again, this gets updated in the Great Commission for us. Now we go and we proclaim the kingdom of heaven, teaching and baptizing in the name of Jesus. Right? But yet, this still shows us something. Right? Jesus doesn't send his disciples to the rich, to the wealthy, to the guys who have 19 boats. Right? He doesn't send them out to the popular uh, full of life people. He sends them to those who are suffering and brokenness, right? The results of sin are real for these people. And so the disciples are sent to prioritize the, the sick and the dying and those who are socially outcast. Leprosy here, it has a lot to go with it, right? The person is socially outcast. So we go to the socially outcast to cast out the demons, right? To go to those who are suffering the addiction to sin, Jesus here is telling his disciples to minister to those ruined by sin, to go, to proclaim the gospel, but to be ruined or to be preaching that and serving those ruined by sin. So we not only talk about the kingdom, but in a sense, we live the kingdom. We live out God's mission to those who are sick, dying, cast out and trapped in their sin. Along the same lines, we need to consider this, right? If this is what Jesus is calling his disciples to do, then we need to think about that, right? Because in our hearts, in our minds, right, our pursuit here isn't to have other people look at us better or to amass more of our personal kingdom wealth that we think that we need. If anything, it's to load up God's kingdom of grace, right? To help people see the beauty and the grandeur of God's kingdom. So we go... We proclaim the message, we heal, and then third, we see this in verse 8. At the end of verse 8, you receive without paying, give without pay. This is amazing. You got to think about the disciples here. They had nothing that would ever call God to select them as disciples. They have nothing. <laughs> they are tax collectors. We even read that Judas is about to betray Jesus. I mean, there is no grounds whatsoever for Jesus to show them any grace, any favor, and yet, right, Christ came to them. Right? So he says, in the same way I came to you without any awesome thing about you, right? now you are to go to those who are sick and dying, socially outcast, and trapped in their sin, and you are to expect nothing from them. Right? You're to expect nothing from them. In verse 9, he kind of fleshes it out. He says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. Jesus is telling his disciples, go and serve. 
and serve only. Don't require anything from the people that you serve, right? It would actually end in frustration. I think Jesus is trying to get at that. He doesn't want to breed frustration in the ministry because if they do go to the sick, the dying, the the leper, and those trapped in sin, they really probably don't have much to give anyway. So if selfishness really is the root of their heart, they're just going to get more and more frustrated. God is showing his grace through his mission once again. Right? The grace to know that, as we read here in the, at the end of chapter 10, the laborer deserves his food, that God has them. God's the one that sustains them. And as we look out at the mission field, we look out and we see right, those lost in sin, those ruined in sin, whether close or far off, we understand that we have all that we need because we have Christ. Right? We don't need to look after all of these earthly things. We don't need money. We don't need clothes. We don't need possessions. Right? What we need is Jesus. By God's grace, we have that through the kingdom. So, we go, we talk, we heal, and we give. And a question for that giving mentality is, what do you want out of being on God's mission? I, I know there's a temptation here for a church where the pastor's on sabbatical to, when Mike gets back, to just absolutely blitz him with all the awesome stuff that happened. Right? Maybe you guys probably have them all written down on your phone, notepad, or whatever it is. But you guys are going to just absolutely tidal wave Mike with all the awesome things that happened while he was gone over the past seven weeks, right? And you are just going to be beaming when that happens. But, and not to say that's a bad thing, but just think about the heart, right? What, what is it that you hope happens when you share the good news of the kingdom work, right? Is it that Mike would look at us better would it be that Mike would say, all right, well, I, guess, I guess God really has blessed us because of you, right? Or is it that we're going out, right? And we're giving ourselves fully in this gracious moment, freely for those who are lost, right? For God's glory. So in these three ways, we see what going looks like, right? We proclaim the message, we heal, we go and we serve others, and we have this attitude of glorifying God above all else. So servants of the king then share the king's message, his actions, his attitude. But to do that, the servants must trust God for what's needed to succeed. This is the second big command. The first is go. The second is trust. And we see this at the end of verse 10, where he says, for the laborer deserves his food. Again, God is sharing that he will sustain their most absolutely vital needs. But then in verse 11, he continues, and he says, and whatever town or village you enter... Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Worthy here catches us off guard, right? Because if Jesus tells his disciples to go to the broken, then they probably wouldn't think that those are the worthy people, the glorious people. But here we read that this is worthy as in receiving the gospel. We see that in verse 13. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if not worthy, let your peace return to you, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. The worthiness here is the one that God has selected to receive. It's not a worthiness for that person, their identity, what they have in the bank or possession-wise. It's not our calculation of worthiness. It's God's calculation of worthiness, those that he's chosen to receive the gospel. And so when you go, when you go, it's literally telling you to spend time with those who receive the message, right? Spend time with those who receive the message, those who are worthy. Stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, as you enter that relationship, we can update it, greet it. 
man, if we would just have a joyful expression on our face to proclaim the message of God, to actually have a joy that comes with the kingdom of God, that would go a long way to prove the goodness of the kingdom, to prove the goodness of the gospel in King Jesus. So greet people, be happy to talk to them about the gospel. Verse 13, if the house is worthy, if this relationship is worthy, if they are receiving and you're seeing God work in their hearts, then let your peace come upon it. Again, we have to think about the context here. This is strange for us to say, let my peace come upon this house or this relationship. But remember, the disciples are going out in the authority of God's kingdom. And if Jesus is the prince of peace, then his kingdom is marked by peace. We have peace as disciples, and so we get to share God's peace with others around us in relationship, right? So if the house is worthy, if they're receiving it, then be peaceful there, right? Don't start any fights. Be peaceful there. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you, right? And this is difficult for us because I'm sure we all have loved ones around us that we would never want God's kingdom, the, the experience of God's kingdom to recede from them. We would never want to, in a sense, maybe our hearts would go to the word, abandon them with the message of God's kingdom. And yet, what we read here is that the disciple is to trust God with his goings and with his leavings. Because God is the king, not only of his kingdom, but of his creation, which is us as well. And again, this is really difficult for us, but we need to understand that God is the king of hearts, right? Jesus' disciples trust their God because he rules over everything, including those that the gospel goes out to. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than of that town. We just don't trust God with our going out and our coming back, but we trust God with the results of salvation and judgment. And this is very difficult for us, right? We would trust God uh, gladly when people come to faith. But to trust God when people reject his message, reject his king, and say, okay, I trust God that his judgment is still loving. It's still holy. It's still full of grace. I think this just boils up a big question for us. What, What do you think is necessary for mission success? Right? Sometimes we look to the bags full of gold, silver, copper. Sometimes we think about what we have to wear or what was on our feet or the equipment that we have with us, our intellect, right? our desire to succeed. Maybe we would chalk it up to any of those things, but really success comes from God and God alone. And that means our tether, our, our link to that success is trust. Through Jesus, we trust that God is the one who goes before us in this mission. Again, it's difficult for us to think that God's judgment will come upon those that we love and we share the gospel with. But again, we understand that God's grace is upon those people and that there is no one that can thwart God's mission to him. So what do you think you need for mission success? 
oftentimes here when we battle with trust, I think there's a, I think there's a, a quickness to get angry, to become fearful or suffer guilt from past unsuccessfulness, right? We think that those things are needed for gospel. We need to berate ourselves. We need to get angry that God's uh, judgment and his, his grace and his salvation aren't coming to the people that we labor so hard for. And yet we see that trust is what's needed. And trust here doesn't produce anger, fear, or guilt, but it produces peace, joy, and perseverance. Peace, joy, and perseverance. This is, again, difficult for us to think through when somebody that we love is so close to us and it's just not, you know, in a sense, clicking in their hearts. Those who trust Jesus continue on, they persevere with peace and joy, knowing that God is the king over his kingdom and the king over his creation, loving each one. So we looked at the two major commands here, go, and then we saw that that includes proclaiming, right, serving and giving, and then we saw the second major command, which is trust, and I I know you guys caught it, but we just need to bear the repeating here, right? What would drive us to do this glorious work that God has set for us? What would give us a heart to gracefully work out God's mission is because Jesus did it for us. Each one of these steps Jesus does for us, it's Jesus who comes compassionately from heaven to earth, right? He's the one that prioritized broken, sinful people, right? It's him who says in Mark chapter 2 that he came to heal the sick, not the healthy, right? He's the one who comes to aid the broken. He spoke of himself, ministered out of who he is to heal us, ultimately sacrificing himself freely on the cross so that we would be restored to him. He has brought us truly to himself in the way that he has served us. And through his death, we are restored to the kingdom of heaven. More importantly, more amazingly, we're restored to the king of heaven. All right, his kingdom is over us. So in the same way, hopefully we can see it here, in the same way that Christ's mission to us is marked by grace, we can go be on the same mission as Jesus was, as he shares it with us here and work compassionately with grace to those that we see that are helpless, lost, ruined by sin. Do what Jesus did for us for others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise your name uh, that you would, Lord, work out this mission for us, that you would go to us, Lord, broken, sinful, even as we read about Judas, betrayers. And Father, that you would gracefully, compassionately die on the cross to rescue us to yourself. Pray, Lord, that we would have that same heart of grace towards others. Lord, I pray that we would continue to live in a way that exemplifies you as our king. Pray, Father, that we would proclaim the message of the kingdom of heaven. It's not far off, and it's not coming, but it is here. Lord, I pray that there would be repentance and faith in the midst of highlands. Pray there would be repentance and faith in the midst of the families of highlands. Lord, and as we go out to our places of work, or extended family, friends, that we would see your mission be pushed forward, advanced, Lord, by your sovereignty, by your kingship. So, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.